I'm Michael. And I'm Katie. And this is Missing History, where each week we bring you and ourselves a story about a woman or someone who identifies as female that we want to know more about. We'll share some stories, talk about it, and maybe get a little mad at the patriarchy. Maybe more than a little mad. Okay! Today's episode contains strong language and references to violence and sexual assault. We're back. Hi, Jen. Jen's listening to this right now. So there might be some dogs barking, but it's going to be fine. And okay, I think all my snafus with recording are gone. So hi, Michael. Hi, Katie. It's happening. It is. It's been so long. Can you believe it? No, I really can't. But then again, life's hard sometimes to get together and record a podcast in multiple time zones when. Days off or few and far between. Yeah, I'm glad we finally found the opportunity to do it again. Are you though? <laughs> At what cost? <laughs> <laughs> At what cost, Michael? That is a really excellent question. That we, um, I don't know. I don't really know the cost, and I don't really want to hazard a guess given when this episode will be released. This is a nice distraction from the current state of affairs. We should say it that way. Yes, I think that's um, a lovely way to just, put it. Yeah, we're going to saturate our brains with knowledge and power and uh, talk about stuff we haven't talked about before, hopefully. Yeah. Or maybe we'll like dive back plan. into like our old lady friends that we have. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm going to reference at least one of them. Are you? With my lady today, yeah. I don't know if I'll I am. Back. Um, I don't know if I am. I really hope people can't hear this dog. I don't, I can't hear you the dog. You can't hear it? Oh, maybe it's fine. Um, okay. I think we checked the Google Drive and I am first. You are. It's your favorite way to go. Okay. Make sure my dog's okay. My dog is okay. Okay. Uh, man, this dual screen thing is just living my life. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you about Hypatia of Alexandria. Ooh. Ooh, sounds very ancient. Spoiler. When we talked about it the other day, did you mention Patty? from the good place or did jen mention patty from the good place i'm not sure but there's definitely a good place connection yes mark yes is have you seen the whole series um i've not seen the second half of the most recent series okay i'm imagining when she appears because that's where we're gonna end it to like bring it up at the end you know what i mean okay so we are in alexandria we are which is in Egypt? Egypt, yes. It's on the coast of Egypt. It is a site of learning and education. I'm going to actually talk about that whole city, just so you kind of get the context of Madame's life there. So the city of Alexandria is named after Alexander the Great. He was like, I am conqueror of the world. I am also going to name a city after me, as all conquerors do. And... Uh, he, as you may know, was taught by Aristotle, so he has this interest in knowledge. He was cultivated with a sense of knowledge, so he's like, the site of my city that is my name shall be holden of the... Uh, oh my god, I'm so tired. Um, it will hold the world's knowledge. It will be a site of learning and culture. And so he dies very young. Spoiler. Uh, he dies very young, like 29 or something. Yeah, conquers like a lot of the known world, and then it's like... Yeah, hmm. and he's like, oh, I guess that's all I was meant to do. I'm going to get sepsis or something banal. Um, 
So he dies before it's constructed. However, his successor's name is Ptolemy, spelled P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, which is Gotta dumb. Love the Greeks. And there's a whole like Ptolemy dynasty. So like we loved the name Ptolemy. Um, his successor. So we're like two hundreds uh, B.C. I think. Oh God, I didn't check. Hold on. Let me double check. It should know BC or AD. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think BC feels right. He's BC, it's like pre, right? Pre Roman Empire being a big thing. Yeah, it's solidly Greek right now. BC, we're BC. Okay, so he, so BC Ptolemy, is like we will continue this process. We should build this giant uh, city based on knowledge and learning and education. What a great idea he had. Um, so he decides to build a library and, uh, the library is not just a library. It's also a museum. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a prototype university, um, before such a thing really exists. And, uh, it becomes a cultural statement of Alexandria that like, this is the seat of knowledge (laughs) and every kind of couple Ptolemies would, uh, add to that (laughs) legacy and like, Ah, the Greeks, we will be known for our brains. We shall be known for our brains by having this Alexandrian Egyptian, because we're Greek and everybody's kind of having dynasties all over. Um, uh, Yeah, so the library grows in uh, esteem and continues to uh, gather knowledge. Uh, A couple ways that this happened is uh, every scroll that was in the city gets gets copied and is put in the library and then because alexandria is on the coast uh it's a hub of traffic on the mediterranean so there's ships Mm -hmm. going all the time um whoever's in control greeks or egyptians or romans or whatever there's ships going in and out and in and out and in and out so it was ptolemy the third so we're on the third ptolemy uh who decides like okay we um need to take advantage of these boats so every boat that comes into the harbor must stop. Give us all their scrolls, books, a lot anything of they have, everything and anything they have. We're going to take them to the library. They'll get copied, and then we keep a copy, and you guys get your scrolls back. So we have an archive. We are the Google of the ancient world. That, all knowledge will sit here. That's kind of crazy. I'm like, if you're a boat and you're like, I need my yeah. scrolls. It yeah. feels like that would take a little bit because they're all it will take, copied you're by usually, hand. You, well, you're, if you're on a boat and you're going to Alexandria, you're probably going to stop for a while anyway because it's such a big hub. So you're going to mm-hmm. be getting supplies and chilling out and everything. But it was like a part of the law. Like it was not it's part of the check-in process. The customs process was give us your books. Okay, on your way. Thank you for your knowledge. <laughs> we have put it in the shelves. Um they wanted the scholars as they got more prestige, as emperors agreed with them, like it only enhanced the knowledge and the ability to gain it. So scholars wanted a copy of every book in the world and uh, sought, they also sent ships out to seek out knowledge, to bring it back to Alexandria. It became very much the central point of where all of that stuff should go. Um so, uh, as I said, it's not just a place for scrolls and books. It also had classrooms and lecture halls. So it's this, yeah, as I said, prototype university. And then with the knowledge kind of gaining um, physical presence, uh, everybody that wanted to be knowledgeable, wanted to sco- mm-hmm. be a scholar or learn or scientists and politicians and 
um, mathematicians, philosophers, they all started to come to Alexandria to live. So then there's this culture of education and thriving uh, metropolis that's built upon this kind of area of learning. Um, the first catalog of a library is made because of Alexandria. Like it was just a big old box full of scrolls and then no one really organized it. Mm-hmm. So then one scholar's in there, he's like, that's my project. So he makes the first like index of a library, like catalog of like, here's history and here's the Macedonians over here and here's all oh, of Alexandria. Very cool. You know? So that's where it's a Pinecus, Pinecus is what it's called. It's basically like a Dewey Decimal System of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, in 235 BC, a uh, I, oh, Erastenes realized the globe was round and could measure its circumference. He lived in Alexandria. He used the library. So this is 200 BC. We knew the world was round, to be clear. The Greeks knew the world was round. <laughs> Everyone get on board. Just because you don't understand the math doesn't mean it's flat. Um, and then another philosopher, Heron of Alexandria, made a prototype steam engine in like the 280 BCs. It was just in a drum mm-hmm. and it was self-steaming. Like it didn't propel anything, but he made it so basically the original steam engine, cool. 280 BCE. So all these like Victorian things that came about. Greeks did it first, short answer. And they would have they wouldn't have done it without this library and this access to just be creative and thinking and thinking mm-hmm. outside the box kind of place. Um, in forty eight BC, a good I should say BCE, before the Common Era, Julius Caesar conquers Egypt. He's stomping and shaking all over the world at this point. He's a big deal. He's uh, emperor. He's he's flirting with Cleopatra. Cleopatra's fighting with her brother Ptolemy. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert: she kills him, and she becomes uh, pharaoh of Egypt. She gets in with Julius Caesar in order to do this. Uh, he rolls into Alexandria, um, sets the Egyptian ships on fire in oh, the bay, no. and some people think this then goes into the city and destroys some of the library. So, oh, what knowledge Ooh. was lost, we don't know. But kind of a scene is like a the peak of its um, prestige, and then it sort of starts to dwindle after mm-hmm. that. So over the years, over hundreds of years, it goes from Greek ownership to Roman ownership empire to empire and then this fancy religion comes around called christianity and that's where we're gonna meet our gal so she is born in alexandria around 355 they don't uh ace 355 ace so we have a couple hundred more years going on let me double check that that's true (laughs) (laughs) i don't know bc's and ad's anymore yeah, I think it's just CE now. Like common, oh, just yeah. common era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's CE. So she's CE. Okay, great. Cool, cool. So Julius Caesar burns some boats and then a couple hundred <laughs> more years pass. The Christians become less of a let's feed them to the lions and uh with um Constantine and with the other emperors, the mm-hmm. Roman emperors are starting to become Christian and therefore it's the Holy Roman Empire and it's becoming this sort of different we're going away from paganism. We're going away from polytheism. Mm-hmm. Um, we're evangelizing the world. 
So anyway, she's born 355. Her dad's name is Theon, which for yes. you uh, Game of Thronesy people. Oh my gosh, I remember uh, that he, came We're going to say that name a couple times. But Theon, uh, her dad is a Greek mathematician. He also uh, studies astronomy, and uh, her mother is unknown. Hashtag all women on missing history. Um, <laughs> they believe she's an only child because there's, it is very atypical for what happens to her to happen to her. So they think um, she's the apple mm-hmm. of his eye. He teaches her everything he knows, and she uh, takes to it like a like a duck to water. They say she thrives. She enjoys mathematics, philosophy, astronomy. Oh, I said math. Uh, all the math, though. She likes arithmetic and geometry and trigonometry and very complex things that I can't really talk about because I very cool. do great at geometry. Um, but it's important to note, and I don't think we think of it in this way, but we're go- maybe going back to it. Um, mathematics and philosophy go hand in hand for her and her dad. They're Neoplatonists. I didn't know anything about Neoplatonists. Um... My basic understanding of it, so please don't come for me, Mm -hmm. my basic understanding (laughs) of it is you combine the teachings of Plato, Aristotle, Pilotinus, who is an astronomer or a mathematician, I can't remember, um, and Pythagoras. Okay. You combine them all and you understand the world through the language of mathematics and numbers. Um... Music is representative of that geometry of spheres, of the shape of the cosmos, of, like, stars Mm -hmm. to Earth. It's all related and helps you understand the universe and its properties. Um, It's it's a way... They call the... the, Oh, they call a cosmic force that kind of move. it's like the force man it's like the star wars force it's like it's in us it's of us we are we can study it it's everything but uh it's a source of the cosmic universe thing god mm-hmm. some people call it but for these people they call it the one and you only gain nice knowledge of the one by bringing all these elements of math astronomy geometry and music together okay okay pretty progressive ideology Mm -hmm. um she didn't worship a particular deity you could say she was a true academic and philosopher i view her as like a humanistic approach to the world she was Mm non-denominational um so in her study of all of this she also becomes a skilled teacher and the reason we actually know about hypatia is that she taught so many people and they wrote about her and how she taught them and how her classroom was, that that's how we know what she was like rather than Mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about later, which is maybe not as great. Um, Okay. uh, Spoiler alert. It's going to be sad for a minute. Um, But her her students were very taken with her and were well-educated and therefore wrote things down and over here are all these, like, little traces of her throughout the, Mm -hmm. like, Greek-Roman world. Um. Alexandria, because it was the site of learning, all the rich people would send their kids to go learn there. She would study with them. She would be like a private tutor to like the elitist of elite, you know? She is the brain of Alexandria. And she's a woman, so that is very rare. And apparently, they were all cool with it. I think she had the clout of her dad. She had Mm -hmm. the proven authority to like... 
she knew what she was talking about. She could talk circles around everybody with all this math and geometry stuff. Yeah. And she, from what I can tell, like, if you know that much and that's your philosophy, I think she just treated everybody the same. And there was no kind of hierarchical partisanship of, like, I'm going to treat the Christians like this and the Jews like this and the pagans like this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, feels, and, like, that's probably, like, the place to do that, right? Because it's right. close to the, yeah. like, Jew-Christian yeah. area. Oh, we're in the thick of it. Yes. Um, cool. So, as I said before, uh, the city exchanges hands many times. We are now getting the Christian hands kind of coming in and taking over a little bit of Alexandria. It's still within this em- but larger empire. So, per, like, Roman vibe at that time they would send these like governors or i don't even diocese of they use all these language things of like you get egypt and you get judea and you're gonna Mm -hmm. come back to me the roman empire and give me those taxes right so in alexandria we're gonna introduce a couple of fellas and i love them so much they're great guys they're super (laughs) great dudes uh, um, they suck. They're terrible. I don't like either one of them, but for different reasons. Orestes is uh, the prefect of Alexandria. He's in charge of Egypt on behalf of the Roman Empire. He is. Uh, he is. He identifies as a Christian at this time because I don't think you could have a job for the Roman Empire if you weren't. Mm-hmm. Um. So he says he's a Christian. He's trying to do the balance of, like, power and politics and all of the stuff. Um, and then you got this this real champion of the people, Cyril of Alexandria. C-Y-R-I-L. Cyril, I should preface this, is a saint. Um, saint Cyril of Alexandria. He is known okay. as a doctor of Christianity. We'll get to that in a minute. He sounds great, doesn't he? Doctor? Ooh, doctor of Christianity? What? I don't know. He the, seems great. You're, you're- your tone suggests to me that perhaps there's He's a counted more. among the church fathers and the doctors of the church and his reputation in the Christian world has resulted in his titles pillar of faith and seal of all the fathers. So he couldn't have done anything terrible. He sounds like a great fellow. Um, so Orestes is sort of the Roman uh, governor guy. Cyril's over here with this sect of Christians being like... Not in our town. Christianity is the way. Get on board or get out. Um, and I could say this because I'm Catholic, and apparently he's a saint in our faith. So um, everybody hated each other. Let's call it what it is. There was no like pious authority there, like who was just getting mm-hmm. beat on by everyone. Everyone hated each other. They all hit each other. They all attacked each other. They were led by. F- by leaders who were inept and just stoked fire instead of see the commonality of all men and just move on. Um, We love that. We love that. You know, it's amazing what's the same and what's different. So there's three... This is a very simple version of this, so um, I don't mean to offend anyone, but it's probably going to happen. So you have the quote-unquote pagans. You could say they are non-denominational. You could say they are the Hypatia clan. Um... The old, you know, polytheistic folk that still have the statues and do the pagan festivals and things like that. Big section in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Um, They are now fading with popularity. 
you have the Jewish people that are in Alexandria because Jewish people are, are everywhere and awesome. Uh, they have their whole culture. They are always, uh, they've always been there. Um, clearly there's some issues there with everybody and the Jews for some reason. And they just get hated by most people for no fucking reason. Um, and then you have our dear friends, the Christians, who are the growing popularity and hate both for many reasons that I think is clear to everyone. Um, it's also like fresh 400 A or CE. So we're Christians, we're young, we're feisty, we're feeling ourselves. It's, it's mm-hmm. rough. It's rough out there for the other two parties. But I will say there are, you can look into this whole 15 year period of Hypatia's life, or it's probably most of her life that this is happening. The Christians bait the Jews to show up at this thing, and then they throw rocks at them, because and they know they can't fight back, because it's the Sabbath. And then the Jews trick the Christians into coming into this place, and then they beat them with sticks. And then the pagans get the Christians to go over here, and they lock them in a building and set it on fire. Like, it's just... Wow. It's, it's, it's all parties. <laughs> no one is doing what they should be doing. And every reaction to being attacked is one to attack back. It's not great. That's it's, nuts. It, it's not great. No one's winning. Um, it's bad. Um, so I'm glad Cyril, we don't do stuff like that anymore. So our dear friend Cyril is up and coming. He just mm-hmm. sees these Christians get attacked from all sides, according to him. And he is the one true faith. And he means well. And he wants to lead Egypt forward into the Christian faith of authoritarian righteousness. Um which might be my take on it. And um, he gets a lot of power doing that. He gets to stoke the fire of his followers and they go out and commit righteousness in the name of our Lord. Um, Orestes, our dear friend, is sitting there and he's got three giant factions of people that he needs to all follow him so that we get some stuff figured out, right? And we all participate in a society because that's what people do. And so he's not, he is a Christian man. He is trying to just, you know, be the politician. And he's like, I understand that that's frustrating for you. Yeah, let's go over here. Okay, why did you set their house on fire? Maybe we don't do that. Okay, no, I do love Jesus. And then the Christians are yelling at him that he's not Christian enough. And he's going to the Jews. And he's like, I need y'all to live here. You're a giant part of the population. It's not right that we just kick you out of the city. That's weird. Oh, Cyril just kicked you out of the city? Okay, I guess that's what we're doing. Like... Ooh, it's, boy. It's bananas. Um, it's bananas. Cyril's is a, he's a, he's a nightmare. Um, so he and Cyril, after all of these kinds of events are happening, the tension between them two is growing. All of a sudden it becomes him or me. Who's the rational one? Who's in charge? Who's getting the followers? Cyril has the legions of people. Um, and then he has no kind of... Why would he stop what he's doing? It's it's right and it's true. Um, he is a dystopian nightmare. <laughs> um, they constantly feud. Hypatia is in all of this. Hypatia has a reputation in the city. She is a moral center. She is the mind. She is the mind and the heart. She is fair and honest and clear. And... Uh, Cyril doesn't care for her because she is a quote-unquote pagan, even though she doesn't necessarily practice any particular faith other than her intellectual 
mm-hmm. humanistic kind of philosophy stuff. Um, but Cyril doesn't think that's great. It's Christian or nothing for him. Uh, Orestes appreciates her because she sort of brings in that intellectual elite. There's also, a, I'm sure, a certain aspect of like wealth association with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, with her comes the scholar's sons that bring in money to the city. I mean, she brings in a whole faction that Orestes needs to keep in mind. Otherwise, we just have a mob of Christians running everything because <laughs> they kicked <laughs> out the Jews for some reason. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, just, I guess, that person kicked that person. It's so bizarre. Um... She, so Orestes goes to her for feedback, (laughs) (laughs) counsel, I guess. Uh, And she says, you must, you know, behave justly and fairly. And you must, you know, do what is right and moral. You know, you can't just hate Cyril because he hates you. You have to, you have to rise above, right? And so he's like, oh, okay, fine. So then Cyril, (laughs) Cyril incites a mob because he's, great at that he incites a mob that attacks Orestes Orestes gets injured and then because we don't learn anything Orestes then tortures the leader of that mob which isn't Cyril it's like some other Joe Schmo who's like got anger issues Orestes is like I'm not gonna forgive you I'm gonna torture you thus inciting Cyril to be like Orestes went to that witch Hypatia and now he's uh, murdering us and torturing us just because we threw a little rock at his head. Like, what's his deal, you guys? <laughs> burn it down. Burn it down. Oh, my gosh. Um, so then we have the great W word of witchcraft, which is always my favorite when a woman's involved because you know it's going to end well. So a bunch of fanatical Christian idiots decide to form another mob because they're great at it. Um, it's a lot of worked mobs out so well associated. the first time for a saint I don't think you should have a lot of mobs associated with your name yeah that's probably One not great think. maybe just think about it for a second he incited a riot many times um, so he does it again uh, he accuses her of witchcraft boom that's all I need just tell me when so she's riding her carriage through Alexandria going to and from wherever she's going we don't know because they kill her. Um, they pull her off her chariot. Aww. They do not give her a trial or anything like that because they don't have any authority to do so. Um, they kill her. They chop her up and they burn her body outside the city. So they don't Whoa. kill her. They murder her uh, aggressively. Um, yeah. No one can bury Oof. her. No one can mourn her. It's aggressive. Yeah, go one might say it's a mob. uncalled for. Deeply, deeply Just uncalled for. Just a bit for. when she was like, yeah, Resties, you should treat everybody fairly. Witch! She's a freaking witch. They don't freaking murder Orestes or burn his body or chop him up. They decide to take it out on her because also she's a pagan. So let's just cut that third out of the city. Oof. And then we can all be by ourselves and do everything but just ourselves and not have any friends. Um... So that's how it ends for her life, which is unfortunate. But as I said, she had the trickle effect of like being with all of these students over the years. Like she was over 60 at the time and she had taught from a young age. Like as soon as she Mm -hmm. got mature enough, she was in there teaching. Like it's not, she didn't, uh, she didn't have to like matriculate or anything like that. Um, (laughs) 
but her death is sort of seen as like the end of well I think it's seen as like kind of the end of the intellectual Alexandria it continues to shift through different dominant hands at some point the Muslims take over that area as they you know as their faith becomes more prominent in that region um, but the with her death the library and all kind of was supposed to be kind of dies as well I mean I think I don't think there's too much of a stretch to say you burn the smart you burn the body of the smartest woman in town and you continue destroying and letting the library go into neglect and then what comes after that like the dark ages or whatever <laughs> when we didn't realize anything about anything because we burned mm-hmm. all the books and killed all the smart people so <laughs> I hate when that happens you know so the great regression of humanity happened um and We'll never really know. I mean, so much of Alexandria was destroyed after that because it just wasn't seen as valuable mm-hmm. with any kind of like totalitarian thing. It's only that thing. That's all you need to read is just the box of the thing. You don't need anything else. Why are we keeping all these books around? Yeah. Gross. Just burn that. Just throw it out. Let's toss it in the river. Um, so we don't know what the library was like. We kind of, we don't know what the architecture is like. It's all imaginations of mm-hmm. people later. And then none of the archive is, I don't think any of that is maybe like 1%. It's not, it's just an infinitesimal bit. So mm-hmm. what I think is interesting is we don't know. Well, we do know like an ancient Greek scholar figured out the world was round. But who's to say what else was in there that we think we discovered in the 1600s or the 1800s or like the Renaissance or the Enlightenment that Mm. these guys were screwing around with at like 400 CE. But we never get to know that. Anyway, let's talk about some stuff she could do, though. She was able to use an astrolabe, astrolab. It's basically a really cool... um, instrument uh that could take astronomical measurements and so you would calculate the altitude of the stars and planets and then you could figure out the lat oh in a navigation it calculated the latitude guys it's a really complicated little thing but you could figure out the time based on the trajectory of the planets um so she Very could just cool. whiz bang with one of those. <laughs> and she could also, uh, they had a hydrometer, which I think is used to measure the weight of water. Why you need to know that, I don't know. But basically you put it in water and then the way it has the tick showing on the little thing, mm-hmm. you know how much water is displaced and therefore you know how much the water weighs inside the thing. Cool. So she was tooling around with that stuff. Um yeah, so the she after she passes, the school is shut down. With her death, I think all of the scholars that live there were like, we should go. They don't like smart people here. Um, so they start to leave, and therefore like the culture of the area just kind of dwindles. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, I found this here, little thing. Under the following centuries of the church's stewardship, all save 1% of Latin writing and 10% of Greek writing vanished through either intentional destruction or neglect. It would take centuries before the rarefied philosophical and mathematical inquiries of the classical world reappeared in human consciousness during the Renaissance. As for Cyril, he waited for a punishment that never came. As a slap on the wrist, his army of monks was reduced from 800 to 500 by an imperial decree. 
<sighs> Christian historians <laughs> celebrate the murder of Hypatia by comparing her death to Cyril's. Uh, oh, no, hold on. Sorry. Let me go back for a second. Um, he. Oh, yes. They, they rejoice in Cyril, the patriarch Cyril, who destroyed the last remains of idolatry in the city. Huzzah. Oh, yeah. Um, now, we forgot about Hypatia for about 1,400 years. Um, so since then, we have rediscovered her. While mm-hmm. we don't have any of her personal writings, um, there's a little bit of, like, writer's license about what she was like and what her deal was. Um, mm-hmm. How smart was she? I think she's sort of this... <laughs> um, what I what I see among her contemporaries or her her peers is that there's no condescension and there's no mistrusting of her because she is female until mm. her death. It's just like Hypatia, she's the smartest lady in Alexandria. You have to go learn from her. Yeah. Um, she never married. She never had kids. It's also not a. I mean, there's like one story of a guy falling in love with her, and she's like, no. Uh, Treat me. I mean, there's like all this subtlety of like, treat me as you would a priestess. I am a priestess of knowledge, but I don't think that was her deal. I think she was just like, mm, no, I don't. Why? Mm-hmm. Not for me, kind of thing. Um, and she is now kind of touted around in different feminist leanings. I mean, this podcast is an example of like a proto prototype mm-hmm. of. The unencumbered woman, right? She could set out, do her own life. She was held in high esteem by her colleagues. She was a member of society. She participated in the forward motion of society and, you know, was killed because of it. So, yay. <sighs> yay. Cyril is a dick. Love I hate him so that. much. I hate him so much. And he gets a feast day and, like, beatified. What? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't hold up. We should maybe take a look at that chapter again. I don't know. Yeah, or yeah, that early Christianity is a. I mean, not that other parts of Christianity are not dicey times. Yeah, but oof, that is bad. It's not great. I mean, I colored it a little. Yeah, but But, I mean, it's not hard to find that he was just like every every other line in the in the like writing about him is like, and then he incited a mob. Um, and then he got a mob to go over there and, like, throw rocks at all the Jewish people on their Sabbath. And then he was like, well, you shouldn't be out if it's the Sabbath. Why aren't you practicing? Uh, like, just just mean-spirited like stuff. And then all of them, it was like, oh, why'd you hit me? I'm going to hit you. Oh, why'd you hit me? It's like, you all are just getting hit all the time. What is happening? Anyway, so the good place. So I'm going to give you a spoiler. <laughs> so. Okay. They get to the good place. Spoiler. They're at the good place. And Lisa Kudrow shows up. And she goes like, hi, I'm Patty. <laughs> and she's got like a football jersey on or something weird. I forget why. Um, but Chidi finds out that she's Hypatia. And he's like, oh, my God. You're like the OG philosopher. Blah, blah, blah. It's like one of his idols. And then mm-hmm. they like hang out for the whole episode. But she goes by Patty and like drinks milkshakes and seems super cool, which I feel is accurate and a really sweet way of hoping she exists you know what i mean yeah i don't know it was just fun and i I was like oh i mean i had heard about her a little while ago and then i saw that episode and i was like i should read more about her she's fun um but yeah i love patty 
Patty seems great. I feel like yeah. we need more Patty. We need more Patties. So yeah, you want to take a Very break? Cool. Thank you. Yeah, let's do it. I am ready. Okay. Oh, I just get to sit now. This is exciting. <laughs> I know. I forgot why you liked going first so much. Now I remember why going first is better. <laughs> yeah, you just relax the whole rest of the time. It's good. It's good. Yeah. How was my time on the first one? Oh, it's like 38 minutes. Okay, you're good. okay, you're okay. Like, Yeah, I think you were like solid like 35, 36. Nice. Yeah. I feel good about the amount of research I did then. I was going down a wormhole of like, let's find out what ancient Greek was like, you know. Mm-hmm. What was her normal, what would, what would have been her trajectory in a normal family? It was, yeah. The well is deep on that subject matter, so. Very cool. I love yeah. a deep well. <laughs> uh, well, after we've just spent a fair amount of time talking about like really problematic Christians, yeah. I have a hopefully let's, let's re- let's, less you know, problematic Christian. Yeah, let's, uh, let's help them out. They've had some bad branding here on this episode. Just yeah. Cyril, though. Let's talk, let's talk it who it is. Cyril and all his mob of monk jerks. <laughs> that being yeah. a technical term? I wanted to say worse things, but my mom probably <laughs> listens to this, so I should stop. I already call them like a dick and things. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I've got um, Julian of Norwich, who is a medieval Christian mystic um, who does not murder people. <laughs> Ooh, yay! Which is a big, big upsell for us. Yeah. Um, but Julian in, or Julianne? Ju- Julian? Julian. So this is part of the like exciting, interesting thing. So we actually know like almost nothing about her yay including we're not even quite sure that her name is julian um she is one of the reasons she's known is because she's an anchorite at saint julian's church in norwich so they're not sure if she just like got the name of the church attached to her at some point if her name was actually julian which was a um a woman's name like that was like a fairly common woman's Hmm. name at that point but and also it would be like it's right it's highly suspicious that like her name is julian and she's at saint julian's church yeah god spoke to me i need to be here why my name is julian so yeah what else Uh, (laughs) but like we really we like maybe we think she was born in like 1342 Mm -hmm. not really sure about that ce just ce yes um maybe died at some point after 1416 so solidly dark ages time right oh yeah we're like when do we say dark ages is over like middle like sort of reformation-y like mid to late 1400s yeah it's sort of this is like the tail end of the middle ages but like the tail end of the middle ages is still real rough it's like we're talking i mean who's your beta test for that i mean (laughs) so good for (laughs) It's good for no one. Oh man, fourteen eighty, that's my jam. <laughs> Just turn around uh, the corner, die for no reason. <laughs> Just, I don't know. A donkey kicks you and you die. Like Yeah. This doesn't is, take much. <laughs> I mean this is yeah, this is peak doesn't take much time. Um there's like yeah, there's plague, there's revolts, there's like all sorts of craziness going on. Um So Norwich, does that mean uh, sorry. England? Yeah. England? We're talking about OG England, England. OG England, like s- sort of the west, the eastern side. Um, it's the main wool trading port. That's what it's like big thing is at this point. 
if you want to like trade wool in England, you send it out through Norwich, um, which also means that it's like a really rich city because all that wool money, it's big business. Is that a big business? Well, it is the UK. They need some wool. Yeah. So the idea is you'd sort of, you'd send your wool to Norwich and they would send it off to the Netherlands or sort of that part of Europe and Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm, send mm -hmm. back. Mm-hmm. All sorts of cool little things. So it's a, it's a, as like cities that aren't London go, it's very, very wealthy, um, which is also oddly enough, like makes it a very religious place or at the very least, like there are a lot of churches and monasteries and things like that there. Cause there's lots of money to pay for it. Um, and so that church money, you gotta get that church money. And so, and it's interesting, like that church money is actually one of the major reasons we know Julian exists because mm-hmm. there's basically like four documents that talk about her. One is the book she wrote, which we'll talk about. One, she like appears in someone else's autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a couple of wills that like mention giving money to her. And that's it. There's like the only sort of records we have. So the reason we think she died sometime after 1416 because that's the last time someone mentions her in a will. Huh. Yeah, it's, but right, but like through sort of her writings and like looking sort of at the context she lives in, you get an interesting idea of this, like kind of interesting, maybe a little crazy. We don't want to judge there. Um, But spoiler alert, she has visions and is famous for having those visions. What do you think that is? I don't know, but it's like a non blasphemic note happening right now. So don't (laughs) tell the Pope on us. But like, what is that? I, it's fascinating. Is that the power of belief, or is it? I mean, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go out on a limb, Michael, and say we, you and I, probably don't think God talked to them. I'm just gonna maybe guess. Um, but yeah, is it like you know you make your brain open and like think you know OG meditation and like stuff comes in and then like I saw a vision and like that was their way of talking about contemplative thoughts and then it got misinterpreted or like yeah i mean it's 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 interesting to ask that it is sort of a view into like what is like your interior religious life look like in a way that you Mm -hmm. often don't get um spoiler alerts though she has her vision while she's on her deathbed and very ill so who doesn't you know what i mean stuff's going on yeah Yeah. i mean in a a way it's sort of similar to hildegard who we talked about like Mm -hmm. way 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 back in episode four in that Mm -hmm. like as a, as a woman, you don't have a lot of, like, access to religious authority. And one of the few ways that you do is if you have these visions and you write about them. Because it's sort of this, like, unmediated connection to God in a way that, like, male power can't get in the way of. So I think there, there's something there, just, too. I can't describe to you the feeling I have when you say stuff like that. It makes me so happy. Because it makes me feel like... <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> We're like, yeah, the power structure is screwed up, man. We can't mm-hmm. get in there. And you're like, yeah, this is why it's screwed up. And I see that. And I, I want to actively not do that. And it's like, go, Michael. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, it's not my thought as a silly woman. Uh, God put the thought in my brain because he talks to me because I am blessed. Exactly. And that Which is, I guess, and, like, creepy prophets do all the time. God talked to me last night in a vision. Sure he did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Conveniently mm-hmm. showing up when you need to, to do something. Um, 
Yes, but she's mm-hmm. not going to ask you to drink Kool-Aid in the jungle, so Dude, hopefully it will be okay. If we ever want to go off the beaten path, I would love to talk for like three hours about that. What a situation <laughs> that was. Yeah, we'll have to back pocket that. I mean, at some point we could do an episode that's not about a woman. It would be very off-brand for us, but I would be fascinated to talk about that. Well, we can talk about the survivor of that. There's a survivor lady that was like mm-hmm. a kid. Anyway, sorry. That's going to be another story. Um, uh, that could be like a Halloween episode or like when the mood is right. Because I don't think it's yes. right now that we need to talk about mass murder. No, I don't think so. Um, oh, God. <laughs> so going back to Julian. Um, so she has um, sort of, we think, maybe a bit of a life before she becomes a religious person um or to say like she enters sort of formal religious life um maybe has children maybe has a husband again we don't really know anything but there's like a reference in part of her writing that suggests she might have been married and had a kid um if she Hmm. did it's very likely that they passed away in one of the many plague outbreaks just that happened in norwich um just living in that muddy 1369 yeah they're just, it's very, it's a plaguey, plaguey time um, in Norwich in most of the 1300s. Yeah, more um, than likely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's sort of like one of the, the big points of her sort of context is that she's living in like a very unsettled time. Like, like we were saying, there's like not a lot of great times to be alive in the Middle Ages, but this is a particularly bad time to be alive in the Middle Ages. Um, so the Black Death, the like really big round of the plague hits Norwich when she's six, kills a third of the city's population. Ooh. Um, there's the Ooh. big peasant revolt, which sort of disrupts the What did they have to complain about, Michael? <laughs> Nothing. Things were great for them. They were just being <laughs> They got some of that sheep money, ungrateful. Right? Um and then there's also this like religious conflict happening at the time. What? Um, right? Again, like sort of religions Catholics. don't get along? Yeah, in this case it's Christians not playing well with other Christians. So there's this group of Delicious. Christians in England who get called the Lollards, but who are sort of this like proto Protestant heretical group. Who yeah, gets are in we trouble. do we have Reformation yet? This is just a little bit before Reformation. So okay, these are sort we're of the like a feeling. Yeah, these are like the last people pre Reformation who are like, maybe you have a personal relationship with God and we don't need as much of the church. And maybe you just need the Bible. And maybe you should be spoken English. like two Catholics. I know, we're just like, why would you want that? (laughs) Unconfirmed, I'm allowed to talk about it. I think that's how that works. I am too, so hopefully... (laughs) It's my group. I can talk about my group, right? Yeah. Um, Your group uh, may or may not have burned some Lollards at the stake in the early 1400s in England. Oh, man, they love that. Yeah. Um, And the Bishop of Norwich, um, during most of Julian's life, is like a particularly prominent opponent, um, which will be something... I think that contributes a bit to why she is like relatively unknown for so long because she's I think rightfully so is a little bit worried about like putting some of her more radical thoughts out in the world and getting accused of heresy and getting burned to death or like like, witchcraft yeah people broadly like to avoid the whole getting burned to death thing it seems like and the bishop was a big fan of burning people to death yeah and like he's called the warrior bishop because he in fact leads an army against the peasant revolt in the 1380s okay can all you clergy get your armies in check and realize that not your job and to just chill yeah, out just like chill sit out. down um but Why in an army so bad i don't know but in the middle Power, ages it's, it's a bit it's a big thing 
Um, so yeah, so you sort of have all of this happening in and around Julian's world. Very unsettled time. Um, so it kind of makes sense that she decides, like, as an unmarried woman, or possibly widowed, that, like, the thing to do is enter religious life. Because that's yeah. pretty much, like, the only reputable option you can do if you're a single woman. It's like, you're married, or you're a nun, or yeah, you're... Yeah, you either gotta get married again, and potentially have a baby again, and die. Because that's what, I mean... Mm-hmm. If you're having babies, you're probably gonna die <laughs> from having the baby. So, like, if you... Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so she becomes an anchorite at St. Julian's Church. Um, and again, from our from our Hildegard episode, we'll remember that anchorites are people who, like, are literally locked. Thank you so much for remembering to tell me that. Yes. Yeah. Our, they're, in a, they're in a hidey hole forever. Yeah. They are indeed. And they're basically treated Talk like, about like, like dead. Can you think of how crap your life is that you're like, no, sign me up to live in a closet. What? No one can get to me? Yes, please. I would love to be in that. Yep. Yeah. Was there an anchorite version for dudes? Yep. So, like, anchorite is both the God. broad term and also the dude term, and then anchoress is the female The ultimate term. introvert experience. Like, yes. uh, uh, no thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for and eons. Like, and some of the, the, like, cells are pretty nice, but, like, for the most part, it's like, right, it's like a stone room with two windows. And that's your deal forever. For your um, whole life. Yep. You, like, get last rites when you go in. You're, like, for all <sighs> intents and purposes, already dead. It's bonkers. But, right, like, I think you're totally right. It's this idea that, like, the world outside is so unsettled that, like, that is an incredibly attractive option for you're a like, large yeah. number of people. And it's mostly mm-hmm. women, too, which hmm. is really interesting. Hmm. Why would their lives be so bad that they want to live in a little... Who's to Closet. say? Who's to say? Who would be bothering them out in the world as they're just trying to, like, farm potatoes or shear the sheep? Yeah. Uh, and, and it is sort of in that speaking of power structures thing, once they make this choice, they're often, they sort of transition to being, in a, in a lot of ways, sort of the center of community life in a lot of ways, because they're mm. this, this constant presence. You can always go and, like, get some advice or chat with them. Um and then in turn, the community supports them, which is how we know about Julian, because when people died in their wills, they'd be like 20 pennies to support Julian at St. Julian's Church or something along those lines. Um, Can you talk to me more about, like, you would go and talk to them? Like, yeah. while they are in... While they're in their little Seclusion, cell? you could still visit, though? I thought yeah. the point was to not engage, but... it's a little It's a little bit both. So in one way, you're sort of, like, withdrawing from the world... But because you're doing it, like, attached to the church, there'd often be, like, a little window between your cell and the church where you could watch mass happening. But also through that window, people could come talk to you um, and sort of seek, like, religious advice or counsel. Um, the idea being that because you spent all of this time in prayer and sort of, like, thinking about it and, like, yeah. literally living in the church, that you were someone who'd be, like, particularly knowledgeable about that. Uh. Wow. So it's yeah. So I mean, like, I'm I'm sure none of us at this moment could like sympathize with the thought of like being trapped in your house but accessible to people all the time. But that's basically what it is in a way. <laughs> Topical. Um, 
Yeah. No, I'm just thinking of like it's like a, a original therapy session kind of thing. Like, stop by my cell. <laughs> we'll talk about your lifestyle. <laughs> you know, or on your way to church, be like, this is just really bothering me right now. How would you do it? Through the guise of like, I mean, that's what religion does for so many people is like it gives you a sense of grounding or leadership or uh, yeah. structure to live in your life. So like, I just think about like who would go seek her counsel, you know, like would it be other women, would men, um, yeah, who's going up to her window and like talking to her. I'm just yeah. curious about and that. I mean, it definitely seemed like a bit of a mix. I mean, in part, like because of the sources we have, it, we like know about the wealthy people who did it, the people who were rich enough to like leave wills, but it seemed like both men and women, um, both, and like there, there is a, I think a priest there so like other religious people are seeking her advice the autobiography that we know her through is another female mystic Mm -hmm. um who's like a bit more on the like problematic end as at least as like mystics go um her name's marjorie kemp um and she travels to norwich specifically to talk to julian so like there's definitely something about julian in particular that like her reputation spreads mm. beyond just the immediate city. Um, and I think a p- big part of that probably has to do with these, like, visions that she has and then writes about. Yeah. Uh, Are you going to talk about those? Right now. Oh, okay. How Great. I am so curious about what these visions were. Yeah. Um, so in May 1373, so she's, like, in her early 30s, um, she falls like seriously ill um and so a priest comes to the house to give her last rites um and as she's not in the hole yet no so this is pre we we're pretty sure this is pre-hole one of the like again she wasn't in there till later 30s yeah so at the the we know she's definitely in there by the 1390s so in her like 50s so there's a chance and again we're not quite sure basically what happens between the visions and this first time we definitely know that she was an anchoress. So there's a possibility she enters very soon after the visions. There's also a possibility she doesn't until much later. Like she could conceivably have lived like a very full life outside and then goes in and has this sort of other fairly long life as an anchoress as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But so here she is like early thirties, really sick priest comes and as he's like raising the crucifix it's part of the blessing she sort of sees christ and then proceeds to have this series of 16 visions um most of them centering on christ's crucifixion um and looking broadly at sort of his like love for humanity um and like the love is sort of a big key in all of the visions um and then she gets better and commits herself to sort of this religious life. And we're, again, we're not quite sure like when she formally enters it, but this for her, she marks as like a really big turning point in her life, um, which is really interesting. Um, if you are a listener of the NPR history podcast through line, uh, which I cannot I'm recommend highly enough. I guess you are, Michael. Oh, I am. Uh, and they did an episode <laughs> a while back about the puff, the public universal friend who is a, um, a woman in revolutionary America who has a very similar experience. She gets deathly ill, has a series of visions, but when um, she wakes up, she is no longer a she. She is a they. They are the public universal friend, and they are a non a gender nonconforming reincarnation of Christ 
in the American colonies in the 1770s. What? Why aren't we talking about them? Right? Can oh, they we be should next? Be. I, I feel like... Please do Puff next. I really wish I could do justice to Puff. I think the, th- the Throughline episode, though, is very worth listening to. It's oh my God. fascinating. In the but, 1790s? Um, 1776, I think. I think, like, peak... What? Like, Revolutionary War times. I'm Googling this. I gotta listen to this later. Yeah. Sorry um, to derail. No, it, I, it's, I think, purposefully derailing. It's just, I found it really interesting, uh, the similarities between their two stories, which I'm not quite sure if we could call it a a trope necessarily but this like getting very ill and then having some sort of experience of like closeness to the divine and then changing your life does seem to be a reoccurring theme at least in christianity like saint ignatius of loyola has the same thing happen where like he gets hit in the leg with a cannonball and is like very ill and recovering and like that's when he has his religious conversion experience um so it's like you just blew my mind with so much right now. Okay, okay. Um, but yes, the Wild. puff is very, very cool. Very worth looking into. I can't believe you just dropped that in there. Like, it was not going to stall me out. Okay, <laughs> that is wild. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after she has these visions, she then does, does like, the additional radical thing about writing about them. Um, and she's going to write, in the course of her lifetime, two different versions, uh, which are conveniently called the short text and the long text because medievalists are real descriptive like that. She's a simple lady. Um, and the the modern title for her work is called Revelations of Divine Love, um, but that's that's a title that sort of got created when the works were rediscovered. Mm-hmm. We're not really quite sure if they had a title when she wrote them, um, but the short text is written pretty much immediately after she has her visions, and they're uh, as simple as like a recounting of divine visions can be. There's not a whole lot of other stuff there um and then about 20 years later at which point she is definitely an anchorite she writes the long text which is what else am i doing (laughs) longer let's elaborate (laughs) (laughs) and sort of unpacks and it's basically like a meditation on the vision so sort of unpacking a lot of this um and again it's sort of interesting to compare her to hildegard in this moment because hildegard's visions are these like big fantastical like representative things that are really hard to put into words and so when Mm. she writes about them a lot of times it's like poetry or trying to use this like incredibly sort of like imaginative way of talking about it to get Mm -hmm. these like indescribable things onto the page um and julian's visions aren't really like that they're a lot again as like divine visions go they're pretty straightforward they're often fairly realistic they're either Jesus having conversations with her or sort of walking through scenes that could be like fairly close to real life. Um, and like is, her writing is full of vivid imagery, but it's not the sort of like fantastical stuff that you see in some of Hildegard's writing. Um, it's a lot more sort of like, here's what Jesus was talking to me about. Um, and really interestingly focuses a lot on like the emotional experience of what it must have been like to be Jesus getting crucified, um, which is something that people are kind of writing about in the Middle Ages, but like, but her focus on it is noteworthy in that it's very much this like, yes, he was suffering, but also like the sort of love involved in that act and that like overriding love is a theme that shows up again and again and again. So like, an in, is it like an intense 
empathetical description or is it more like I think empathy is probably a really good way of yeah. framing it. It's definitely as with like most prophetic visions, it's this idea of like we can't get at God. So like how do we sort of figure out what that experience might be like? And this way it's sort of looking at that one particular experience in the gospels and looking at what might that have experience been like as Christ is talking to her about it. Um, and like the really interesting thing is that she like walks away from this experience and in her writings is sort of really taken with the motherhood of God, which is not a concept that like shows up in Christianity Why? all that often. It's a fairly like dude centered view of God. Why do you think that is Michael? Who's to say I'm, <laughs> I feel like we could really quickly get ourselves in lots of Catholic religious trouble here. So I'm just going to say that we're already like, there. I mean, you heard my diatribe about Cyril. Blessed be he, St. Cyril. Um, um, but right, there's this idea, right? You've got the father and then the son. And then we talk about the Holy Spirit. And, like, we don't really acknowledge it. But, like, maybe the Holy Spirit's, oh, like, female God force. Who's to say? In, the, in other religious traditions, the Holy Spirit is a female religious force. So, like... But in Catholicism, I do, personally do, have never heard that say. before. Now, the way you just said it, is that tr- I I know. So at least like in my very limited understanding, the like parts of the like Holy Spirit idea that are pulled from Judaism have like more feminine tones to them, and so there's like some small strains of thinking in Catholicism where like the Holy Spirit is the like more feminine God part. Um, you would never catch anyone say and really, that Really, they church. should all be genderless, and we just get over it, right? Right. Cool. Um, and so that is, like, the like the gendered bit about this next thing is interesting. So it's so the motherhood of God, but specifically the motherhood of Jesus. So... Go with me here. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So this idea being that, like the entire universe at least in the like christian creation story is like through the word of god like that is how the universe is made and if jesus is the word of god then by definition it is through jesus that the world is made and like who makes things like women and mothers make things like they make humans in their Mm -hmm. womb so Mm -hmm. like jesus therefore is the mother of the universe and therefore is the like motherhood figure of god in equality with the fatherhood god the father symbol in the trinity wow she was smoking something in that little abbey (laughs) sorry (laughs) no i mean yeah it all checks out i just think like that's pretty wacky stuff coming out of the 14 harvest however yeah norwich in the like late 1300s yeah that's some deep philosophical stuff yeah so you could see perhaps why she was like a little afraid that like she might get in trouble with yeah that warrior bishop warrior seems like bishop. he would love that chapter <laughs> um and it is interesting because right like there He'd are be like men or women and have birth what no i don't have babies i'm mad about it yeah go and kill like something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like not unheard of in christian writing in the middle ages to like talk about that idea of like the motherhood of god but it's never like a literal thing it's always like a metaphor because the literal thing is a little out there mm-hmm. um so that's sort of her like her unique contribution one could say to like these these bigger conversations about 
the nature of God in the Middle Ages. Um, and that's part of the reason people think she might have been a mother, because the way she writes about motherhood, and there's a particular passage in the book that like makes reference, that would not make sense if she had not had a kid. Um, which is then also sort of like, again, a, in a twist on the missing history sort of thing, it's her kid probably died pretty young as opposed to parents dying young. Um, yeah, I but, mean, like, before 1980, like, a parent or child dying is just, everybody gets one, you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah, <laughs> the tried and true fact. It just sucks. Ugh. It does. Okay. Um, yeah, so she's, right. she's this, like, interesting religious figure, but, like, the really cool thing about her book is, unlike Hildegard, who's writing in Latin, she's writing in English, in the vernacular, um, which, again, is also something that, like, might get her a little bit in trouble. How much time separates them? Um, that's a really great question. Hildegard is in the, like, 1100s, so, like, 200 years earlier, um, and is very much in the, like, German world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is sort of like a slightly different religious world, like English Christianity is a little bit, a little bit weirder or actually mm-hmm. like not weirder. That's not the right way. Well, but no, like, but farther from the origin and the yeah. farther it goes, the different shapes it takes on with the culture. And then there was the whole Celtic vibe here uh, or here, there <laughs> of like, you know, incorporating that aspect into the Christianity, which is different than like the continent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think those are all, yeah. Um, yeah, so all of that is to say, like, she is this very cool figure who, in her lifetime, is seemingly fairly well-known, um, and then her writing pretty much disappears for a couple hundred years, um, in part because she's writing in English and she's a woman, um, but eventually does sort of Boring. come back. <laughs> uh, and is republished um, in the late 1600s, and then again in the 1800s and becomes sort of this focus of study in the 20th century as trying to get a window into like what was religious life for women like in the middle ages because she's one of the few to like actually to write about her personal experience um in a way that's sort of understandable to a modern audience yeah and it's of the vernacular yeah and it's i mean it's kind of cool to read a little bit of the like original english because at least Mm -hmm. the way it's transcribed it's like you can you you can tell what it's going if you say it out loud, but looking at it on the page, it is. It's like Shakespeare. Oh, it's yeah, it's more, it's harder than Shakespeare. Chauc- I think. Chaucer or whatever. Yeah, I think that that feels a little bit more on the nose, but it was. Ye, ye olde time and blah, 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 and you're like, whoa, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason I I picked her in the first place is because she, at least in the last couple of weeks, um, this quote from her has been going around the internet a little bit. Oh. Um, the sort of, it's like the one sort of popular thing she's known for. Um, and it's this quote, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. I love that. Which is like really uplifting. Um, but of course, because I'm like the worst person ever. The reason I picked it is because there's a second part of that writing, which is not famous, but like I think is perhaps a little bit more appropriate for the moment, mm-hmm. um, which is um, sort of her talking about um, a conversation she was having in the vision with Jesus is that he did not say, you shall not be tempest-tossed, you shall not be work-weary, you shall not be discomforted, but he did say, you shall not be overcome. Oh. Which I found, like, really That's equally nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. A little bit of realism in there. So does the all is well as well precede that section? I think so. I'm not not sure exactly what order they appear in in the original text, but they're not like they're not right next to each other. They're like two distinct chunks of text. Um, That's a really nice quote, though. I like the whole thing. Yeah, I do, too. I think she was definitely like onto something there. Yeah. Yeah. I like her. You love a cloistered lady. (laughs) (laughs) Give me an anchoress every time. (laughs) It's just like part of me dreams of being able to like lock myself in a room and have no one come talk to me (laughs) but i've gotten a lot of that this last couple of weeks i was gonna say do you still want to do that nope i really i really don't just you and god talking all the time yeah although apparently you god and a cat there's this like very common trope that like which i think might be part of the cat lady trope is that Mm -hmm. anchoresses were allowed a cat in part to like keep the mice down that's the jam See, so you're not alone. You're getting a little a little person that doesn't require much of you. Yes, although you actually also apparently got, like, a real person. Like, most, because you couldn't go out to, like, get food and things, most anchorites had, like, a servant whose job it was was to, like, take out their chamber pot in the morning and, like, bring them their food at mealtimes and sort of, like, help Rough. look after them. Right? And, like, that's the thing. I just don't really want to think about the logistics of living in one room. See, I do. In the Middle like, Ages. I want to know. I want to know about the teeth brushing, the chamber pot pouring, the plumbing scenario. I want a full picture. I want to know who's washing the sheets. No one. If you just dank sheets for like forty years, or I, you get a replacement pair every once in a while. I don't know if sheets were even a thing in the Middle Ages. That's something I've never thought God, about. A new straw for your bed. Like, what are you sleeping on? That's pro- that. I'm sure was a thing. Right, but like, yeah, chamber pot being a bucket, probably. Well, it's England, so you need a blanket in the winter. All oh, them sheep definitely. hanging around, you need a wool blanket. Does yeah. that get cleaned? What if you have an accident? And then, Michael, we're just going to talk about it, frankly. But like, I don't think her change happened at the start of her cloister moment. So mm-hmm. like, she's dealing with a monthly friend. Yep. What are we using some of the straw bed part to deal with that, or are we just like? That alone is reason enough to go and be an anchoress. Dealing mm-hmm. with your period in the Middle Ages. Who wouldn't be like, can I just be in a room? I just, I don't <laughs> I want just, anybody to be a part of this. I, I barely want to be a part of this. I just need to be alone. Fair, 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 fair. Oh, that alone needs to happen all the time? Fine. I just wanted five days, but I'll take the whole month. Sure. Yeah, let's just stay in a room. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I want all those details. I remember it blew my mind when I was just like, I, I had never thought of it. So, you know, it was a new, it, where it was like, when well, Jane Austen's time, they would brush their teeth with chalk. And I remember being like, we've always had the feeling of like gross teeth. Mm-hmm. And for some reason in my mind, it was just, there wasn't a thing to do about it. Like you just dealt with it. Yeah. But like to know that people tried. <laughs> probably not well i was probably really bad but like you know those hygienic things i think we just think of everyone as like disgusting everyone's just i mean and they were but i still think like you know you go down the river and clean yourself it's just be different yeah i mean i think the the thing i remember learning in high school is that like the reason brides carry flowers on their wedding day oh it's because they smelled terrible Yeah, yeah i know yeah Right, because you yeah, had you took your day. like you took right. your one yearly bath because they thought baths were bad because they like let in 
if you got too clean, then, like, whatever made you sick could get into you more easily. Which is kind of right when talking about lice. Don't they like clean hair better than dirty hair? Oh, I don't know. If they do, yeah, that's... They do, because like, get, they get in there easier. They love it, you know. I'm not saying we shouldn't bathe. I, I'm all for it. I had a shower <laughs> moments ago. It was great. But, like... Anyway, yeah. No. Yeah. I just know, like, yes, they were filthy and probably smelled awful all the time. But I do think there was the compulsion of, like, I need to clean myself. Like, I'm covered in mud. I shouldn't be covered in mud. Yeah. Or else my so. whole house is covered in mud. And then... I mean, yeah. my whole house is probably just mud anyway. I'm, I'm probably living in a literal mud house. Yeah. It's probably not great. Yeah. But again, the Middle Ages, really just, like, not a great time for most people. No. Thanks, Cyril. <laughs> You had to burn the library and then put us all in the dark ages. Make nuns sit in cabinets for their whole life. because <laughs> Personally, Cyril's Because you had an ego problem. <laughs> I'm guessing. I think he didn't get enough hugs. Um, it's usually the case. Yeah, you know, narcissists need hugs. Um, well, this was a good round back in the saddle. Yeah. I think like, we did good. Nice and balanced, it feels like. Yeah, some older gals. Yeah, it's been nice. We haven't been back this far in quite some time. No, it's nice. I never do ancient ladies. I'm usually, like, more modern. Yeah. All right. Well, this was fun. It was good to talk to you about ladies. You too. It's so nice to be back. Till next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Missing History. If you have suggestions for women you think we should profile, email us at missinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us at Miss History Pod on Twitter or Missing History on Instagram. We're also on Facebook at Missing History. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Jen and co-executive produced by Frankie the Dog. Thank you for listening to Missing History.